This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Doomsday shelters as we practice social distancing. This is Behind the Bots, the <laughs> podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mary Catherine Carr. What? Me, 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 me. And today on the podcast, our interview with Cobalt Captain Dave Mould. We've also got a special guest co host this week. BattleBot superfan and honorary Sporkinock team member, Mary Catherine Carr. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player, FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have 16 news items for you today. First off, Monday marked the first official day of competition on the 2020 season of BattleBots, which is expected to run through this week and next, ending on Friday, October 16th. Builders from roughly 60 teams spent the weekend setting up socially distanced pit areas and posting dozens of teaser photos to social media. The show will be taped this year without a studio audience. So we figure we bring the studio audience experience to you this week by inviting on our friend, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr to take us on a virtual tour of what it's like to be in the audience at BattleBots. So first off, Mary, um, I've heard through the grapevine and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you've been to dozens of taping sessions over the past couple of years. Is that correct? Um, just, last year i went to all the live filmings um but that was my first year so wait so how many sessions is that it was like 14 days last year um it was 18 sessions total across nine days so wow um, around 72 hours worth of robot fighting Oh my God. I love that. All right. So, so set us up like, um, for people, I don't know. I feel like so many people, it's their, their dream to go to like one or two sessions and I'm sure they'd love to hear what it's like. So like you show up in the morning for like the morning session, um, like mm-hmm. how long do you wait in line? Like, what is that like? Can you kind of take us on a tour? Yeah. Uh, the parking lot opens an hour and a half before filming starts. So you, park and walk a ridiculously long way to the station where you show them your Eventbrite tickets. They will give you a bracelet that's very important to keep on you. And then you are in a little parking lot courtyard. It's not like any greenery. Um, There's a couple of food trucks. Hopefully they're good. There's a 
table, couple of plastic tables under a tent where there's a lot of different uh, poster boards and markers. And that's where the list of who's fighting for that session is usually taped down. Sometimes you have to wait a little while for it. Um, and then you line up by whether you're a VIP or just general admission. Um, there's usually four or five lines of usually around maybe 200 people per line. So, and then you wait around um, in your line until they finally start shouting the rules at you through a megaphone, which is basically just don't take video, don't eat or drink in the audience because um, it doesn't look good on camera. And let's see. Please don't bring in alcohol in your water bottles because they haven't <laughs> happened. Please don't take drugs in the porta potties. They've also had that happen. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. But um, by entering, you basically sign your NDA. There's nothing that you actually physically sign, but you agree to keep everything secret. So then around an hour before everything starts, uh, they'll start taking people in. You go by your line, and um, you have to walk. It's a ways to the hangar. Um, they have to stop traffic because builders are usually arriving pretty late, and uh, they will stop the lines to let the builders drive through. So sometimes you get to see um, some people come in, like. Uh, Jenna Freitas of Minotaur, he'll drive up on his Whoa. motorcycle and stuff like that. And, um, you can look down to your left and see the welding and battery areas and sometimes get a cool glimpse of someone in the test box. But usually it's too far for you to see too much. And then finally you get to the door where they stop you and they tell you that uh, now is the time that there's no turning back. Uh, so if you enter that door, you're no longer allowed to take any photos, even when they do have a photo station set up inside. But um, once you enter and your eyes adjust, it's pretty dim in there. You see the merch area. You see... Uh, photo station set up where teams will come out afterwards. There was um, Jason Bardis's little Dr. Inferno over there. Um, some of his giant nuts were over there. And then on the other side was Tombstone, one of the old Tombstones, I suppose. And then in front of the merch area, there was a uh, Nightmare and you have to walk around that to get to the set which is gigantic and everyone got so excited to see just the BattleBots lights all lit up um, on either side of the BattleBots. There's stands and you go and find yourself a fun place to sit. There's across the top of the BattleBox is um, TV monitors. So pretty much everywhere is a good seat but there's no assigned seats and the bleachers are very narrow and not the most comfortable in the world. So 
get your butt ready. It's <laughs> going to be a lot, but um, the DJ will start playing music about 30 minutes before things start. And then right before they're ready to start the first fight, they'll play Domo Arigato and uh, talk you through what's expected of you as an audience member. So like, lot, yeah, like lots, lots of high energy kind of like, uh, right. When they're filming you, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a weird experience. Like, does it, does it look different on TV than, than you experienced it live? Um, not really. Yeah. What you see is what you get really. Yeah. Um, they have, feed from the cameras inside the box around the arena so you can pretty much see what you're going to eventually see on tv up there minus audio you get audio live but yeah uh it wasn't too different than what i expected i would say yeah um was there was there like a fight that really stood out for you last year seeing it live like yeah the tombstone and rotator fight was just yeah. as good live as it was on TV. Yeah, yeah. We we had we had Ray on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how um, his robot basically became a little chimney and um, <laughs> burned for half an hour or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Wild to watch that just uh, in in the audience. Yeah, and time is ticking down, and you don't know if he's actually going to ever stop. But uh, eventually he does. And then Victor is just, he was so pumped. He started running around and high-fiving everyone and running through the stand. <laughs> it was really cute. That's awesome. Um, last question. Like, I, I know that I saw a bunch of photos with you and builders. So, like, did builders come out and interact with the audience? Like, if you go to a taping, is it likely that they'll hand out stickers or boo-boozuelas or I don't know? Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, anytime before a team would come out, they would usually send some of their uh, crew out with stickers to pass out to the audience. Sometimes they'd have signs for you to hold up. Um, sometimes they would have noise-making machines like uh, Mammoth first brought out these uh, air horns and then they got in trouble for them because they made too much noise during the rest of the taping. Um, that was when you would mostly get your stickers. And then after the session, they'd tell you to keep your eye out. They'd usually have two or three teams, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on who is needing to actually fix up their robot and who is just waiting around. Um, other teams that would come out, you'd see a lot of Team Witch Doctor. They would come all the way out to the area where you'd wait to get in and they'd hand out posters, and their big skull-shaped posters, and they'd sign them for you. Um, they were one of the only teams that you'd ever see outside of the hangar. Yeah. Um, Ray did come out like right outside of the hangar the first day uh, after the first session, and <laughs> but he regretted that because he basically got mobbed by people exiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Mammoth was out there at one point, right outside the hangar, showing off their poor little robot. Um, I think after maybe they caught on fire, one of the fights, 
I don't fully remember. And then um, it was really cool to see Mammoth and Scale because you, you usually don't see them bring their robots out there, but they had that one just sitting out, so it was fun. They're answering questions. The judges will find things during, uh, but otherwise you don't really see them too much. And then I usually sat behind where Greg would sit every once in a while, so that was fun. That's awesome. I have a question. Mm -hmm. All right, so I don't know if Chris remembers this, but maybe two or three years ago, we had a debate as to whether or not the signs um, that we see audience members hold in the audience were provided by the producers or if they were made by the fans. I said that they were made by the fans and Chris said that they were provided by the producers. So what is one true answer, Mary? Um, I don't think the producers provided any. Uh, the teams would sometimes provide some, but almost all of the signs were made by the fans, either on that table um, before you entered, or um, they would just bring them. We so made a lot of signs in our hotel room. Mm. So it, it sounds like it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Like they give you the tools to make the, the signage, and then uh, <laughs> you bring it in. Sometimes. I mean, we would just, uh, we had like three or four dark days uh, where there was no filming. And so literally all we would do during those days would be we'd go to a laundromat and we'd buy sign-making materials, and we'd make signs. Um, From a laundromat? Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a laundromat, like, right across from a Michael's or something, so we'd start our laundry and walk over and look for uh, stuff. Uh, I was like, wow, laundromats must be different in California. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're the same everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, Mary, and then this year you uh, drove hundreds of miles uh, to Long Beach to help out a team. Tell us about your Texas to California road trip. Uh, it was an absolute whirlwind uh, of chaos, but we made it there unscathed. Um, I was contacted Monday night from uh, by Lilith of Sparkinox. And by Wednesday night, I was meeting them in Dallas and getting on the road. Um, we had to be there. Sorry, it was Thursday night. We had to be there Friday by around 8. And they picked me up Thursday at 8. And it was 21 hours with absolutely no stops. So, um, Wait. Uh, so 21 hours, no sleeping, no stops? We, we of course, had to stop for gas and stuff. So we ended up making it in 23 and a half hours. Wow. Oh, my God. What, what was it like inside of, inside of the car? Um, they had, you know, they had to transport not just working up, but all their tools. So it was pretty tight. Um, there were three seats available one had a or the fourth seat had an ice chest in it so literally one room for each of us one seat for each of us there were three of us and uh if you weren't driving you were trying to get some rest 
That's really that's really awesome. Um, what, what was what was the conversation like uh, knowing that uh, you are sworn to an honorary NDA, so you can't say much. But um, <laughs> like, uh, did did you learn more about about the robot? Kind of like about the builds, um, stuff to kind of like look for when the uh, when the show returns. Um, I learned some stuff about the show. Uh, which I'm sworn to secrecy on, but mostly we didn't talk about the robot. I think they just wanted some rest uh, and to not think about it for a bit. But um, we talked about like their hopes and what they wanted to accomplish. Uh, they really just want to have like representation matter. Um, they want to be, they want to show that you don't have to be like an engineer or even engineer Jason in order to make it into BattleBots. Um, and then of course the, the trans rights. They wanna be an ally for trans rights. Yeah. For yeah. Well, Mary, you are a good egg for doing that. Um, I'm sure that uh, you've been catching up on sleep for uh, days now. <laughs> I uh, yeah. imagine that's, that's difficult to do. Yeah, I slept about 30 minutes in the car, so. I don't even remember parts of it anymore because I must have been so delirious, but we made it. They got yeah. there. Well, um, besides Sporkanok, I mean, we we had so many new teams this week that verified that they were coming, kind of surprise teams. Um, I would love to get get into those. Um, you know, we, we had four big name veterans confirmed that they that they are competing in the 2020 season um and these are these are like true surprises for for months there was speculation about whether um they were going to like they were interested in going or or even um able to go um the first big name is our fourth international team this year uh that's announced publicly um brazil's black dragon um and so we, we had heard rumors before that um, that the team was quarantining in Mexico and then uh, after they had been cleared um, negative for COVID. Um, and what, what I have heard as well is that um, because it's a college team, um, they're competing this season with a new team captain um, and it's still unknown if Black Dragon will be driven this year by Gabriel Bertozzi. Um, Mary, you told me that you saw them like walking into the test, test box, kind of like walking outside. Is, is that right? When you uh, when you got there this, this, this year? Yeah, they had just come out of the COVID testing. So no one is allowed within 10 feet of the hangar without being COVID tested and with a rapid COVID test. So I just saw them come back from being cleared. Um, I just said a quick hello. They were getting in a car. I'm sure they're tired. So that is so exciting. I didn't wasn't able to uh, see too many faces, so I can't confirm or deny who made it. But uh, there were maybe ten of them. So I was really I was stoked to see them. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of uh, surprise roster news, we got word this week that Connecticut-based Huge will be competing. After BattleBots posted a photo of the team turning one of their bots' giant wheels on its side and using it as a table. Not to be outdone, the team behind Valkyrie did the same with one of their undercutters, which made a considerably smaller makeshift table. Team Huge is also getting in on the custom face mask game with what appears to be Huge branded face masks. 
On number two, Florida, where rotator captain Victor Soto ended nearly two months of speculation by confirming that his team is, in fact, competing this season. In a photo posted to Facebook, it appears Rotator is bringing two complete robots to the competition. All that said, the biggest news of the week, hands down, absolutely, 100%, is that Witch Doctor is also in, with team captain Andrea Galately writing, quote, When we made the decision to go to BattleBots, Mike and I were already on a road trip from South Florida up to the Badlands and west to Yellowstone. This meant that the team at home would have to get everything ready to ship out to California. Lucky for us, we have the best team in the sport. They finished up some last-minute painting, organized all the hardware and tools, packed the spare parts, and made sure Witch Doctor was ready for its cross-country trek. We seriously would not be competing the season without Paul, Cherry, Kat, Steve, and Rick. Please help us thank them for making sure the Doctor is in this season. With the late addition of those four, that means nine of the last season's top 16 bots are in the running for this year's Giant Net. Alphabetically, those teams are Black Dragon, Huge, Hydra, Lockjaw, Sawblaze, Tombstone, Uppercut, Whiplash, and Witch Doctor. Kyle, I would love to get your thoughts on how um, how the top of the field is shaping up this season um, and the addition of these these four teams. This changes everything. I mean, I think everybody's prediction for who is going to be in the top four, who is going to be in the top two is thrown right out the window. Um, Rotator, most destructive bot. They're here. They've got a new configuration and new layout, and it looks like two fully completed bots. Hooray for everybody having way too much time this season. Uh, Witch Doctor was done months ago, so I'm glad they actually get to utilize all that hard work they put in. Um, this is crazy. I mean, Black Dragon, I think some of us who like hear rumors, were hearing rumors about Black Dragon a few weeks back, but I don't think anybody believed it. It sounded like one of those, you know, flame shooting out of the vertical spinner rumors. <laughs> right, yes. Um, but yeah, it, it, amazing. I'm so happy they're coming. Um, you know, that they're iconic team in Brazil and I'm very happy that they're going to be here. I can't even believe, but I guess if you're, you know, doing school virtually, you can do vir school virtually while quarantining in Mexico and then quarantining in the United States and whatnot. Like it's all fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited because this means that the top of the field is, is, really competitive this year we're going to see incredible fights um i think i think that there was like some worry among fans that um because they had to expand the field open it up again that we're going to be seeing a lot of rookie bots and, and rookie bots typically don't make the top 16 in their first year um but now that we see so many returning veterans and such incredibly good robots, um, I'm, I'm really, really excited for uh, for kind of the the last last part of of the uh, of the season. Um, so yeah, that's that's really great news. Hey Luke, before we move on, I gotta get your call right now. Rusty versus <laughs> Rotator. Who do you got? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Rusty, dark, dark, you know, dark, dark horse for sure. Uh, Rusty for the, uh, the top four, um, possibly top two. Um, <laughs> I think Rusty's going all the way. I love Rusty. Rusty makes no sense to me and I love him. Um, you know, I, I feel, I feel like, like maybe the builder is cheating by putting a face on that robot. You know, if, if Rusty <laughs> didn't like the face, uh, <laughs> You'd want to 
drop kick it, you know, uh, into a into a trash can. Um, but uh, <laughs> who would have thought that uh, tetanus would have ended up being such a successful weapon? Ah, <laughs> uh, Rusty. Um, it, I, all right, I'll. A full, full, like you know, we're pulling for you, Rusty. Uh, I, I want to, I want to see you win at least one or two. So, uh, so that's great. Me too. It's just not like anything we've ever seen before, and it makes me so happy. It doesn't even look like a Comedy Central era robot. It doesn't look like a modern era robot. It doesn't look like, uh, you know, one of the untelevised event robots. It's something completely different, and I'm very excited about it. It's a uh, it's a junkyard robot. That's that's what I read. Um, it's made out of spare parts, and I am a hundred percent about that aesthetic. I love that ethos. I want to see more junk bots. I want to build junk bots myself. Um, I think that if I like fully, if I built Rusty in my garage, I would be super 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 proud of Rusty. So um, yes, I am. I am stoked for our little uh, our little Rusty robot. Now yes. have an anodizing station in the pit. So if you want to rest, you can just go throw your stuff in there. <laughs> I uh, I want to jump over to hijinks, which after months of speculation finally revealed its design. An owl-inspired undercutter with an incredibly wide wheelbase. The bot is very wide and low to the ground, which is its uh only defense being this gigantic undercutter bar. So uh like for me, I thought it looked a little bit like a combination of huge Tombstone and Valkyrie. Aesthetically, it's very easily the most colorful robot in the competition this year with striking pink, blue, yellow, and black paint with this big owl's face painted on the front. Um, we also saw the bot's first weapon spin up and this bot looks so awesome. Um, Mary, I know that you've been following the hijinks story. What did you think uh, finally seeing the bot revealed this week? I'm so glad that the world got to see Jen's baby. I've been teased by pictures of it since before the first Try It BattleBots this year. And I just am super stoked for Jen and her team. It looks so great. And I'm so happy that the internet has received it so well. Uh, it's, I'm just stoked for her. <laughs> wait a second. So wait, Mary, you saw photos of hijinks. Like weeks I didn't ago, see photos. Ago? I I saw some uh, CAD renderings of you know older versions and basically the logo. They wanted me to have what I needed to make signs when wow. there was still going to be an audience. Oh my God, you're better sourced than we are. Like I was totally surprised this week. Um, <laughs> this is great. I love this. There was. <laughs> There was an accidental reveal at one point, but it was only up for a minute. Um, and it was an old CAD rendering. So not, was yeah, it was an old CAD rendering. And I have to say, this is based off of some smaller robot designs that have been very successful um, in some other competitions. I'm super excited to see how this design scales up. Um, I loved reading all of the armchair engineers talking about, you know, they won't be able to turn fast. and. It's not going to be able to do the Ray thing where it can like spin itself into your side wheels. And I was like, wow, you guys obviously haven't seen this design working before. Um, this is going to be so much fun to watch on a big scale. I don't think anybody knows what's coming for them. And the, the amount that this is going to fly around the box when it makes hits is going to be hijinks, pure hijinks. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm so yeah. excited. Uh, Jen did a, a wonderful job. Jen and Orion did a wonderful job. Um, I'm pumped to see this robot. And I love that it's an owl. So cute. When uh, when Jen wrote, or the Hijinks uh, Facebook page wrote on Thursday that they were going to re- reveal the bot the next day, I was, uh, actually set an alarm for my phone. <laughs> because <laughs> she because she gave the time when it was going to be released so i was like i need to see this immediately uh and it did not disappoint it's I, I, like everyone says it's so cool i can't wait to see what it does it's not it's definitely not anything that i was expecting to see um so there's definitely a surprise factor there and it's nice because now i can sleep at night instead of having to wonder what this bot is i can rest peacefully it's funny you say that I hopped on with Javon uh, when he had his like live YouTube video where he was waiting for the bot reveals. So um, I felt like I got to hang out with all the British fans and be excited about the reveal with them. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> the bot reveal heard around the world. <laughs> is is this a good time for me to uh, to talk about the <laughs> about the uh, the rumor that I heard like months ago? Yes. Um, the- okay. Reddit troll. Yeah. No. Well. Okay. Who knows? All right. Maybe. Maybe Jen can get back to me about whether this is true or not. But um, I, I had said on the show, if anybody knows what hijinks is, please private message me. And uh, apparently, Mary listened to this and didn't do that. So thanks, Mary. Um, but instead, I got this anonymous message from somebody on Reddit who said that hijinks was a vertical spinner that shot fire out of its vertical spinning like disc. Um, I heard it had a potato cannon. <laughs> okay, that's actually pretty good. Um, and I, I think that we debated, you know, like whether whether you could make fire come out of a, uh, a, a, a spinning bar. Um, and we decided that uh, perhaps not and uh, did not pursue the uh, <laughs> this rumor. But you know what? I think it's a really great idea. I think that uh, it's a free idea for a builder who's out there who's thinking about trying to get on BattleBots next year. Uh, spinning disc of fire. Despite... Well, I think Tantrum's just one step away with their fists that raise into the air that also shoot fire. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Despite actual firsthand witnesses and photographic evidence... I'm still going to believe that Hijinx is a four-wheel drive vertical spinner until this season airs on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> it hijinks stuff by uh, baiting otherwise. Speaking of weapons tests, the team behind Shatter showed off the power of their electric hammer by splitting a full-sized manhole cover in half in the test box. Kyle, we've had so many test box videos this week. Uh, this one probably the uh, the most uh, kind of shocking footage. Uh, what, what did you think about uh, about them splitting this uh, this manhole cover in half? I mean, electric hammers are supposed to be the least powerful hammers, right? Th- that no. was insane. It is a brushless electric hammer, by the way. Um, that's crazy. I can't believe they did that. I mean, it made me think of uh, the Ninja Turtles, obviously and all the times that they threw manhole covers at their enemies. And those manhole covers were solid, man. They never fell apart. I cannot believe they did this. I hope that hammer's okay. Um, And I love that John Flack is the one who randomly brings a manhole cover. (laughs) Right. From Florida? Like, what? 
or did he just yoink that somewhere in California and bring that to the competition? Yeah, if you're in California, just just keep your eyes down on the ground like John may have walked <laughs> <laughs> I you know when when I when I think of hammers, I, I think of them doing like bludgeoning damage, you know, like you kind of shock your opponent's bot. Um and maybe you jostle something loose, um, you know, in the era of like chains that were not guarded, like maybe you could hit a chain or something like that. But shatter breaking a manhole cover in half, I mean, it raises the possibility of maybe them piercing the top of uh, of an opponent and getting down into maybe a battery or something juicy. Um, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty intriguing stuff. The rookie team Autovolts Robotics gave us another glimpse of their mysterious new robot, Adam94, posting video of them spray painting the robot black. We still haven't publicly seen the bot in action. The team traveled to the competition this year from Canada. Let's check in now with Bale Spear, which is showing off its new farming-inspired look with armor that's shaped like two barns and a grain silo. Team captain Earl Pankos III is competing this season with father and son team Malcolm and Miro Matheson, who built the Mad Max-inspired heavyweight Moore Roadkill and competed with it last year at Robot Ruckus. On number two, Team Food Fight competing this season with the pickle-inspired grabber bot Big Dill. This past week, the team also revealed it's bringing a little red mini-bot to the competition called Meatball. Extinguisher Captain John Flack spent five days driving 2,400 miles from Lake City, Florida to Long Beach, California. Along the way, they drove through Lake Charles, Louisiana, the site of wide-scale devastation in August from Hurricane Laura. They also made an overnight stop in Tombstone, Arizona, home of the infamous gunfight at the OK Corral. Mary, it sounds like uh, John did <laughs> did his cross-country road trip, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know, like a more... Uh, more luxuriously than uh, than Lilith. Who, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty jealous. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like they were able to stop and like uh, stretch their legs, get out to walk around, talk to people, uh, <laughs> go to go to gunfights, uh, <laughs> go to gunfight ship. Yeah, they might have actually found their manhole cover uh, on the road. There were some pretty junky sites that we passed on the way. Yeah, that's that's good. On over to Ghost Raptor, which posted a photo this week that sparked speculation that the team had brought a secret second bot to the competition called Ghost Dragon. On Sunday, the team posted this season's internal inspection and functional testing sheets, one of which says Ghost Raptor, while the other says Ghost Dragon. It's possible the inspector simply made a mistake, but the team did little to clear that up, responding to my question on Facebook with, quote, Haha, ha, yes, Raptor, Dragon, maybe we change our name next year, lol. Yeah, I sent them a message that was like, do you care to comment on this or should we speculate wildly on the show? And they did not respond to me, which means we speculate wildly on the show. <laughs> I think uh, that they're bringing an actual dragon-shaped second robot that they will just alternate in and out with Ghost Raptor. Nice, nice, I love it. Also, Maybe they just put wings on the raptor and then it becomes a dragon. Oh, like that's the mini bot? Like they combine? Oh. Yeah, it's like Voltron, but you know. Yeah. No, Ghost Raptor makes no sense anyway because it's called Ghost Raptor and yet its symbol is a saber-toothed cat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Um, I will say it looks 
awesome. The pictures that they revealed look fantastic. I'm super excited about this iteration of it. I had the same thought with it that I've had with the last two iterations of Ghost Raptor. Uh, is it going to hold up? Is it going to like be okay? Um, you know, standing up to competition like Tombstone and uh, Son of Wayachi and whatnot. Now it, I was wrong both times I had that thought before. They were able to stand up to Son of Wayachi. They were able to stand up to some big hits, but man, you know, it looks so skeletal. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Meanwhile, the team behind Gigabyte is praising this year's safety measures with team captain John Maladnik writing, quote, BattleBots has done an amazing job this year, making everyone comfortable and accommodating everyone under the toughest circumstances. Best pit table area I have ever seen for any event. I was expecting it to be miserable under the circumstances, but it has been the opposite. I know this is early in the tournament to come to this conclusion, but this is my impression so far. He also praised the food, saying the steak, tacos, tri-tip, fish, cheeseburgers, chicken, and more represented the best food he's ever had at a televised competition. Safer the than up test in his driveway, just saying. <laughs> All right. The team behind the casino-inspired vertical spinner Jackpot posted video of their weapons test at BattleBots, where the team beat up a tire with ease and chewed into the test box's metal safety barrier like it was butter. In this video, it appears the team took off the rabbit ears that allowed the bot to drive inverted and replaced it with a more conventional self-riding arm. Separately, the team, which finished two heavyweight robots in under a month, also somehow found time to build a tiny hexbug-sized version of Jackpot. That is some impressive time management. I also checked into it, and in that same time period, Jeff produced about 39 memes for uh, floor posting, which is a new meme BattleBots group, if you want to go check it out. <laughs> Team Ribot is bringing three major weapon modules to the competition this year, an undercutter, a vertical spinner, and a wedge. The team built a spreadsheet of the competitors they potentially face this year and the perfect weapons modules for each. For three unnamed bots, they made exceptions, instead noting the words game time, die, and mind games. On over to Sporkinok, which showed off our first full look of their bot, a spork-inspired lifter slash hammer with a spork-shaped hammerhead. The bot is painted blue, white, and pink after the transgender pride flag. Mary, I have to ask, uh, I know that you saw the bot when it arrived in Texas. Uh, <laughs> is it the same bot that, uh, that, that you saw in these, uh, these photos from BattleBots? Uh, they got all the painting done at BattleBots, so it's a much more colorful version. And uh, otherwise, I think they were just tuning it up and uh, putting the final touches on it. So honestly, um, it looks amazing. And it still was our precious baby boy beforehand, but now it's our beautiful precious baby boy. <laughs> This week's must-watch video comes from the team behind Scorpios, which posted several hype videos from the pits, showing the energy, enthusiasm, and joy of competing at BattleBots this year. You get a great behind-the-scenes look at the pits, the team's functional tests, and shots of lots of other teams competing this year. We'll include a link in this week's show notes. And finally, I want to close out this week's news segment with a Taylor Swift update. It's well known that Endgame Captain Jack Barker is quite possibly New Zealand's biggest Swifty, having named several of his bots after Taylor Swift lyrics. 
He embraced the meme this year at BattleBots, posting a Facebook story of himself wearing a t-shirt with an all-over print of Tay-Tay. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Cobalt Captain Dave Moles. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Cobalt Captain Dave Moulds. Dave is a member of the Rare Three Continents Club in Combat Robotics, competing in the UK with Robot Wars Season 9 champion Carbide, in China with This Is Fighting Robots champion Tungsten, and on BattleBots with a powerful vertical spinner Cobalt. Dave is a regular fixture on the local combat robotics circuit in the UK, and has competed with a number of successful featherweights since the early 2000s. Outside of combat robotics, Dave works as an engineer at Cadbury's, making sure the company's chocolate factory lines are running smoothly. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, you're good? How are we doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Pretty light here, but yeah, so so good. Yeah, uh, thanks for uh, staying up late with us. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. So uh, we have a a, a lot to get into uh, regarding your illustrious career in combat robotics. But before we get into that, we just want to know a little bit about you. So where do you live and what do you do? Uh, So you pretty much hit it on the head in the intro there. So I'm an engineer. I work at Cadbury's. I've been doing like engineering kind of stuff since I was a kid, so it's just a natural kind of progression of life. And uh, I live in England, um, right in the middle, <laughs> kind of like in the countryside. Um, now I've moved out, but yeah, I'm bang in the middle of the country-ish, so kind of central for all events that are all around here. So yeah, that's uh, that's convenient. We uh, we can't move on before we ask a few questions <laughs> about what it's yeah, like sure. for a chocolate company. Uh, it yeah. sounds amazing. And uh, we just, you know, what, what do you do there? Do you get to sample the chocolates all day? Are there yeah. like Oompa Loompas walking around? What's, what's the deal? Yeah, so I'm a six foot two um, Oompa Loompa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm working on the fake town. I'm not very good at that. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a maintenance engineer. I do mechanical work, uh, electrical work, electronics, uh, some programming work and working on industrial robot arms, um, make, making sure they're all working smoothly, like doing maintenance work and uh, production line work really on those um yeah that's that's me that's my boring life as a as an engineer and then there's sam on the team he's an engineer for rolls royce so he helps develop um like jet engines for you know um passenger passenger aircraft and then, then there's kenny who's uh an engineer as well he owns a, a machining company that's uh that's that's really cool um cadbury makes my favorite candy of all time the cream eggs which are sadly only available a few weeks of the year so uh keep keep making sure those uh those machineries uh crank out those eggs (laughs) you you would not believe how many of those they make a day (laughs) i think it's like a a million a day or something ridiculous that we make i mean i probably have eaten a million over my lifetime so uh (laughs) (laughs) i actually uh I gave some to Grant Cooper once. I think I gave, I can't remember how many. I think it was about 200 eggs. Wow. And, uh, he managed to eat them all in about a week. That was quite, that's probably the best record I've heard so far. 
<laughs> that's that's really impressive. Those things are very sweet. So that's a, a feat in itself to to do. So wow, that's uh, that's impressive. Um, so outside of that, we have a question from Slamo Captain Craig Danby, uh, and he wants to ask about the name of the band that you were in with his brother Chris Danby. Do you do you remember this at all? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I remember going around to Christie's house and playing guitar once, but I don't, I don't think we were in a band. Um, if we were, we were probably pretty crap. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember any of it now. I think I, I was probably about 18 at the time, so it was, you know, That's a cool. <laughs> Too bad there are no uh, YouTube videos floating around of, of those days. No evidence is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what instruments did you play in, in whatever um, band may have yes. been? Oh, I, I play guitar pretty badly, and then uh, I think Chris plays it pretty well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's all I remember doing, really. I don't remember being in a band with him as such, but I don't know. I'll have to ask Craig about that because I can't remember. Sweet. We have another uh, somewhat unrelated question here from Ian McDonnell, who wants to know Hi, Dave. Why did you get rid of the beard? Was it because of a bet? A, a bet? <laughs> Is this something else I've forgotten about? Um, no, I don't know. I think it was like a TV beard thing, and like it made me look old, <laughs> so I cut it off. But, uh, I, might, I might grow one back again for the next time I come over. I'll see. It's, it's hard work looking after a beard as well if you're going to do it properly. Uh, I, I imagine so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now that we get all the pressing questions out of the way, uh, let's get into your introduction into combat robotics. Um, mm -hmm. So would you be able to kind of take us back to the beginning? How did you first get involved in the sport itself? Um, so I watched it on TV the same way that, like, I think most people got into it. Um, and I just thought, oh, that's cool. I can never go at that. And um, basically, there was a magazine came out over here, and uh, there was a section in that magazine. Uh, it was all about robots, this magazine. There was a section in it where one of the guys that was on the show was showing you how to build like a featherweight-sized uh, robot. Um, that was Rex Garrard from Cassius. Like he was, he was on the show. Um, so I had to go at building that. My first robot was rubbish. It was really bad, but uh, you know, I, I tried to get it to work. Um, I think it was about fifteen at the time. It didn't even go in reverse. <laughs> a lot of the robots now, like a lot of the parts are like off the shelf, but this was like you had to make everything yourself. And um, it was okay um, for a first effort at the time, but by today's standards, it's, it's just horrendous. Like it, was, it, it had huge wheels on it, so you accelerate and go forward at full speed because that's all. It was either on or off, and then it just flipped <laughs> itself upside down, and then that'd be it. And I couldn't go backwards because I hadn't worked out how to wire that out. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But that, that, that's how I got into it. And then obviously, progressing over the years, you speak to people, like, how'd you get this to? to do that and then they'll tell you and then oh, okay and then you go home figure it out for yourself and then make things the way that you want to make it and you, you just kind of evolve things that way um yeah that's kind of how i got into it and then you, you work your way up the weight classes um i bought a lot of parts from the tornado guys over here um i use those to make a heavyweight um it's made out of old like desks and stuff at the time but it was pretty competitive we we won i think we won the uk championship when i was about 17 over here with that um yeah just kind of worked my up way up really wow do you remember um what how your first fight went and and what that looked like uh events in the uk were very basic back then <laughs> i think that the first 
kind of time I put a robot in the arena, it probably went forwards and then stopped or a wheel fell off or something. I can't really remember. I think actually I remember going to the event. Um and one of the older guys came over to do the technical inspection and I failed it like four times and eventually he was like, Oh, you need to do this. <laughs> I was like, Okay, yeah. <laughs> but like I, I didn't know what I was doing. And then you you know, you improve over the years and, and go from there. Um but like I was saying, events over here were pretty basic at the time. I remember going to one event, and the uh, the arena was basically some sheets of wood on the floor, and it had some, like railway sleepers like laying around the outside, and that was it. It was on like some field, like it was like a steam festival where people have like um, tractors and like steam powered tractors and weird stuff going around, and then there was no like health and safety back then. I don't think most of the robots had like off switches or links or anything, and. I remember a dog running into the middle of the arena. <laughs> like, oh no! Like, yeah, yeah it, was, it was like that back then. But luckily, it's all—it's got a bit more legit now. <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's a little, a little terrifying. Um, what what weapon did you have on on your first spot? Um, it was it was a flipper. Um, with the the actual pneumatic system was uh basically like. I would you say it like bicycle pumps, you know, like you use to inflate your tires if they go flat. I was using that as like the actual piston for like the the actual flipping mechanism and um, like compressed air in like a Pepsi bowl. Uh, it's, it's very like <laughs> basic back then, but it worked and you could make it in your shed. So, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Did you yeah. have a favorite robot as a kid that kind of inspired you? Um, yeah, I, I think. Everyone loved Razor, didn't they? It was a cool-looking robot. And then um, Hypnodisc over here was pretty cool. And then over at BattleBots, I always thought, um, like, the original, like, Tazbot, like, you know, uh, Lockjaw, like, uh, his, his one of his early robots was really cool-looking. Um, so, yeah, you kind of look at those as, like, inspiration and try and put some of the features from that into your own designs. And, yeah, I found that quite inspirational. And then that's kind of what made me want to keep going, really, and, with the way at the ranks. So yeah. Hey Dave, this is Kyle. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Um so I wanted to jump in and talk to you about uh kind of the next step in your robot fighting progression when you got onto Robot Wars. So can you tell us about uh the first year you competed on Robot Wars? Uh I can't remember what year it was now, but it was um it would have been season eight. Um I know Sam was on some of the original series uh, in, in, with a robot called Tiberius, um, which eventually became Photon Storm, the BattleBots. He sold it to another team and they, they rebranded it. But Sam was doing it earlier than me. He's a bit older than me. And then um, my first actual robot wars was season eight. So what was it like stepping into the Robot Wars arena for the first time after kind of growing up as a fan and watching it on TV? Um it was weird it was it was cool it was like um quite surreal really because like you spend 10 years of your life like designing things and trying to get them to to the level that you remember as a kid and it's surreal when you get there um with a little bit of nostalgia in it i don't think the current series or the the latest series which got cancelled i don't think they quite had the nostalgia of the originals but i don't think you can ever recreate nostalgia um but yeah, it was, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I was part of it. So um, Carbide was crowned Robot Wars champion in Series 9. Can you tell us more about that season and kind of what led to your success that year? 
Yeah, so um, season eight, we turned up with Carbide. Um, it was a brand new machine, and I think all new robots have teething problems, really. Um, but we, we did well. We, we came second. But I've always thought you don't learn every, anything if you win. So uh, or it's, it's very hard to learn things when you're winning. Um, so we found a few faults in the machine. We thought the drive wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. There's some reliability issues in the in the actual weapon uh, system that we weren't happy with. So so we kind of went back to the drawing board with all the inners of the machine um, and then took it back to the drawing board, redesigned it, uh, rebuilt it to the best of our ability. And luckily that our designs worked um, perfectly, really. Um, as you'll season nine, I don't think we really, we really had many problems throughout the whole competition. We were, we were very lucky. We had an easy ride. Um, but I think we, we, we kind of deserved it because we did put in a hell of a lot of work um, before the actual um, event. So, so yeah, we, we can't really remember a lot about it now. Um, but I don't remember doing a lot of maintenance on the machine between fights that we had to do any out or repairs. Um, we took the machine apart just to inspect it for faults and things like that. But it, it works pretty much faultlessly throughout the whole competition. Reliability is like that X factor that nobody really talks about on the robots. Yeah, exactly. Like if you've got the biggest spinner in the world or like the, the best pushing robot in the world, it, it, but it only lasts for two minutes and it's kind of pointless, isn't it? Like, so, so for us, like the, the reliability of the machine is the most important factor. It, even if you've got a rubbish robot, but you can outlast the other guy, you're going to win. So that, that's always been like the, the key kind of element for us. Um, reliability on everything and of course like from like my background as a, a maintenance um, reliability engineer and sam's background working on um like jet engines for like passenger aircrafts like we've kind of got um reliability like drummed into us anyway so, so yeah. um so i have a listener question from matt hedger Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an interesting one. So do you still have anything to do with Turbulence, the machine that was that appeared in Robot Wars, the pilot? Uh, no, I don't. Um, so what happened there was... Um, so me, me and Ed Wallace built the first Turbulence. Um, I kind of did the majority of it. Um, and then we did well with that. And then Ed, me and Ed built the second Turbulence, and then Ed became um, a CNC engineer. And... It, we made it quite a lot better engineered, but not as successful. Um, and at the time, I was kind of losing interest in it. And like I said to Ed, oh, you crack on with it. I'm going to go and do my own thing for a bit. Um, Ed made another um, well-engineered version of Turbulence that wasn't as competitive again. Um, and I think he actually went back to the drawing board and rebuilt the first one that we built together. Um, and I think the, the current one that he's still using is basically... a kind of a reproduction of the one that me and him made back in back in the day really um so so no I, like let's just still get on with ed and like i see him around but no, i haven't been on his team or worked with him in a while now but ed, ed still helps us out every now and again like there's a few bits on carbide that ed made um to be fair to him so but yeah no, no there's uh ed, the current turbulence is all ed's work now interesting mm-hmm. um so i got another listener question from pat maloney uh, so between BattleBots and Robot Wars, uh, what do you find is the toughest and most fun event? Ooh. Uh, they're, they're very different. They're very different. Like, I'd say Robot Wars is a lot more lads and dads and people and whatever building it in their shed together on a budget. 
think at Robot Wars we were kind of like the big spenders, if anything, um, and probably the most like experienced as engineers for a team. Whereas you, you take us to Battle Bus and we're kind of like the little guys. So <laughs> there's a big like kind of uh, difference between the two shows. Um, fun wise, I don't know, they're about the same. They're, they're very different. They're both just as fun, but in different ways. I say like. For difficulty level, BattleBots is a lot harder. Um, I'd say the actual standard of the machines is a lot higher at, at BattleBots. Um, there's a lot of good robots at, at, at Robot Wars as well. Like if you took Eruption um, to BattleBots, the guy that won season 10, I think you'd do very, very well at BattleBots as well. Um, but I think whereas at Robot Wars, you've probably got 10 very competitive teams at, at BattleBots, nearly all of them are. So. That's the main difference, really. But that, that's why we, we enjoy BattleBots, because it's it's a challenge. So That makes perfect sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. So here's a fun question from the mm-hmm. same guy. Mm-hmm. Between Cobalt and Carbide, who do you think would win in a fight? Both of them driven by you in this hypothetical fight. Uh, Cobalt. As much as I hate to say it, Cobalt. Like I, I prefer Carbide. It's always been like a more of a, I don't know. I think I think I've got like an attachment to Carbide now. I think because it, it kind of we built that as a tool to fulfill a dream. Like we we built that to win Robot Wars, which is what we always wanted to do since we were kids. Whereas I see Cobalt as more of a tool to do a job. <laughs> like I think Cobalt's designed very much like. Um, with a purpose, like it's designed to um, kind of take on every other machine um, and do well. Whereas Carbide was, I want to build it and I'm going to put this pointy bit on here because it's going to look cool. <laughs> I want it to do well, but I, I'm going to want it to look sweet as well. Whereas there is some of that in Carbide as well. Like, you know, there are like design factors in there that we kind of like try to massage in there to keep the theme. But, um, I don't know. I think I think because Carbide was the one that we won the thing that I always wanted to do. I've got an attachment to it, but I, th- I think in a fight because Cobalt's so designed to be so competitive, I think Cobalt would destroy it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, Cobalt's so- designed to to take on Tombstone, and Tombstone's got more energy than Carbide. So, um, yeah, I think it, we'd get spanked by ourselves really. <laughs> <laughs> um so this next question of his is uh is interesting so he asks would there be any plans to see carbide and battle bots and do you think the similarities between carbide and tombstone would keep you from bringing carbide over now you have brought um you know that version of of cobalt over the the horizontal spinner version of cobalt over mm-hmm so I would like yeah. to add to that. Um, is there anything you would change about that design, just just based on your performance in BattleBots that year, that you think would make it more competitive? I don't think so, because all the American guys have been fighting Tombstone for that long. They know how to. Not it doesn't always work out for them, but they know how to design around that. So whereas when I brought Carbide to Robot Wars, um, no one over here had fought anything like that before. So we instantly had like. A very, you know, we had a good edge on everyone, um, a competitive edge because they'd never fought anything like that, so they they lacked experience in how to handle it. Whereas, like a battle boss, everyone's been doing it for ten years, so they they know how to take it on to some degree. 
Um, whereas the current Cobalt, yeah, it's it's just more com- competitive. Like, I think it'd be cool to use Carbide again to break break it out. But I think the other thing is it's still locked into a contract with with Robot Wars, so we wouldn't be able to do it even if we wanted to. Um, maybe when that contract runs out, we'll have a chat with Greg and see if he wants us to do it. Might be might be up for it, but um, yeah, we've we've got no immediate plans to do that. No. So we've got to move on to a question from Tom Brisbane. So uh, it's kind of a combination question, but if Carbide was still active, unlikely given you guys kind of retired it after the last series of Robot Wars, uh-huh. were there any dream matchups that you would have wanted with anyone Carbide hasn't fought yet? Hmm. Good question. What, from, from anywhere, like across the world? From anywhere, yes. He even specifies you can include BattleBots competitors if you'd like. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say if you'd like to include some of the Chinese teams as well, that's fine. Yeah, it would have been cool to have that fight with Razor. <laughs> like, um, so, so we were, you know, in the bracket, like the way it kind of works. Um, if Razor had, had have won their fight, we would have ended up fighting them. Um, I always thought, like, leading up to that, oh, it'd be awesome to rip that beak off that thing like <laughs> i'll get on well with it and like uh and um yeah i don't know how he would have taken it but i think to to get to a fort razor would have been pretty awesome um yeah i think although we'd lose as well i think it'd be quite cool to like put it up against bike force um just to see what happened but yeah i don't know it, never say never like we've still got it we've still got all the bits we could put it back together but um, yeah, it would have been cool to take on Razor or Bike Force. That would have been good. Yeah, I think everybody would agree with those picks. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. At the same time. Um, and added, I mean, you know, I know the British fans all wanted to see kind of British Tombstone Carbide versus American Tombstone Tombstone. Um, yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. I think it would have um, been cool. He would have had us, though. Like, the thing is, like, with the horizontal, if you've got um, it's like two boxers. If one guy's got a longer arm, he's going to punch you first. <laughs> and like Tombstone's <laughs> right. got the longest arm, so uh, I don't think we would have stood much of a chance against Tombstone. He's, he's, he would have outranged us. Um, but I don't know if we if we had if we both had a bar the same length, then I don't know. I think we would have had a good shot against him. Who knows? So um, next question comes from Cameron Hutton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. What changes would you have made to Carbide if Series 11 was a thing? Hmm. I think, so we were planning on, um, we already machined a few parts, just remembering now what we, what we did. I think the, the chassis and everything would have stayed the same. Um, the reason we lost Season um, 8 and Season 10 was basically down to the bushes in the weapon assembly. So we started machining um, a new front end for that. It would have had like really chunky bearings in it instead of bushes. Um, so, but that might, might have brought in new problems. I don't know. Um, it's a bit of a risk. So we started making that. That would have been the first change. Uh, some grippier wheels would have been nice because it was it used to slide around quite a lot when you're driving it. Um, oh, and uh, a new weapon motor we we started working on, which would have been about. Uh, I think it was about fifty percent more powerful, so it would have spun up a lot quicker. Um, yeah, I think th- those are the main things we were, we were looking at. So, tires, basically, um, the weapon motor, and and the reliability of the actual disc. So, 
All right, so our next question comes from Gareth Jones, who wants to know, do you like building vertical spinners or horizontal spinners more? I'm bored of both. <laughs> like, uh, I enjoy them because they're fun to fight with um, and they're competitive and you're more likely to win with that. But I don't know. I, I think I'd like to try something new. I think if I was going to build another heavyweight now, like I've got, we've got two brand new Cobalt sat, sat in the garage waiting to go. But um, I think if I was going to build something again, I don't think it'd be a spinner. So you don't think it would be a spinner at all? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a variation of it. Like I was actually talking um, to Tom uh, Tom Lloyd from um, one of the UK UK teams. Yeah, Jasper in the last season of Battle. Yeah, we love Jasper. Um, it's a very fun robot. Yeah, yeah. So so I get on well with Tom. Um, and we were considering making like a robot to go to Russia with before COVID happened, and we were kind of thinking about like making something kind of arty and um this is going off on a bit of a tangent there but like we were trying to think of like forms of art that haven't been done in in combat robots so you got obviously like really industrial cool looking things like the master and razor and and things like that and snake and things like that but no one's done any like freaky looking art and uh i was trying to think about what what things kind of translate into a robot well that like be really freaky <laughs> rather than like kind of cool looking and the first thing that popped into my head was uh do you remember toy story the film yeah of course yeah do you, do you remember that baby that was like half baby head half spider like just just really yes, freaky and it turned out to be really nice and charming but it was terrifying when you first see it yeah exactly yeah so, so we were kind of thinking about doing something along those lines just like kind of weird looking but um yeah, I'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> but yeah, that's not horizontal or vertical spinner. So what competition were you planning on going to in Russia? Is this a televised thing? Yeah, I don't really know. Look, <laughs> we, we got contacted by some Russian guys. Like, do you want to come over to our event? So yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> let's, get, let's go to Russia and play robots. It'd be different. But um, I think there, there was an event in Russia and it looked mental. Like, the Russian guys are, are crazy, so I think that would have been really fun. But um, yeah, when when uh, when COVID's over, if if the world goes back to normal, then that'd be a cool thing to do. So I'd love to transition uh, since we're kind of in that continent over to China yeah. and uh, King of Bots, aka this is Fighting Robots, uh-huh. um, where you competed with Tungsten. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we always love talking to our guests about their experiences in China. So. Uh, let's start at the beginning. How did you decide you wanted to compete on that show? Um, we basically got asked if we wanted to go. Um, yeah, we got asked if we wanted to go, what we wanted to build. Uh, told them what we we were planning on doing. They said, yeah, cool. Um, make some changes, paint it a different color, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. And then kind of built it, went there, um, did the show. Uh, it was very different. It was completely different to, to Robot Wars or BattleBots. Um it's very, very, you know, the the whole culture of the country is different over there, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Can you describe tungsten just for people who uh, haven't seen the Chinese shows? Uh, uh, yeah, it was cobalt with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's basically like a toned down version of cobalt. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It didn't drive very well. Um, we were using some pretty crappy tires. Um, had an axe on it, which was, it was more of a self-riser. Um, 
than anything really. But it, it came in useful. We had, we had a fight with um, a team from Korea that was called Orbi. A really nice robot, really nice team as well. Um, but it's it's kind of like Tombstone looking. And, yeah, um, we've uh, we've interviewed uh, we've interviewed yeah, him before. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's a really nice guy, isn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a our first kind of use of brushless technology on a on a heavyweight as well, uh, mainly because we didn't want to put any weight into this axe thing, and. Um, it, it has some like electrical bug in there where it just fire itself every now and again, but it was China, so safety didn't really matter. Um, so, so it was it, during the fight, we were driving towards him and the axe just fired itself, which actually worked out perfectly because he hit it, went flying, turned around and hit our actual main weapon. So that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually genuinely thought I planned to do that, which I said, no, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan to sacrifice that, that, piece of junk on the top of ours for for that but yeah it was it was, it was basically um cobalt just a bit toned down really um so i wanted to ask about the championship fight um <clears throat> we rewatched it recently just because we knew we were going to be speaking to you and we wanted to look at some of your old fights yep um and it was very clear that you won that fight can you tell us uh about that championship and um you know kind of the outcome of that is that the the fight from This Is Fighting Robots? What do you mean there? Yes, it was yeah, uh, yeah. you and Tanshi. Oh, that's it. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, that was against uh, Tanshi, which is um, obviously John from the Terahertz team and and Gabe, um, a few other guys. Um, so yeah, we we're against them, but it, it looked like we'd won the fight pretty easily. But um, it, it wasn't a hard hard fight for us, to be fair. But the actual competition was very hard. Um, not from a from the the actual competition. Um, side of things, but for ourselves, the because it was like I say a toned down version of um, Cobalt that was the first time we, we changed the actual weapon motors to the uh, Amflow three inch long, long kind of motors, and they they weren't reliable. Um, so basically, every match we were going in, uh, we'd burn through two of these motors, and I pretty much timed it that we had about forty seconds of spin time before the blow up. So. Every match we went into, we, we knew we had about 40 seconds to either win it or to not use the weapon and then turn it on later in the fight. So most of our fights, you can see when we've won, like you'll see a puff of smoke come out the back of the robot. <laughs> so, but because we were over in China and we had limited tools, we, there wasn't really anything we could do other than keep sticking new motors in it. Um, so that was disappointing and we were very lucky to win it. Um, so when, when we had our fight against Shredderator, it was kind of, do we use the weapon or not? And we just chose not to. So for the first like 30 seconds or so of that match against those guys, we didn't even have the weapon on. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was a good competition. Um, obviously the, the, the other teams weren't the best um, compared to like Robot Wars or, or BattleBots. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good to go against uh, Gabe and yeah, in the final. Um, they're good guys. So, so yeah, it was fun. I mean, yeah, they have they bring top notch talent in over there for sure. Um, so one of the questions we always like to ask builders who have been there is, would you go back to China? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that, worn the t shirt. Uh, just no, no, not for me. Like, if you like getting makeup put on you and all that kind of stuff and doing interviews till five in the morning, then cool but no it's, i think once you've done it you've done it uh, some teams really love going every year but for me no 
Uh, so we have a kind of related question from Pierre Sear, who asks, what can be done to get Germans and Japanese and others in the game like China? The more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what, what was the question, sorry? So to, to get more Japanese people? Yeah, what can yeah. be done to get the Germans and Japanese and others um, <laughs> in the game like China's in the game? I mean, China went all in on combat robots, you know? Like, yeah, so what yeah. could be done to bring other nations into into that same mode, into that same kind of level of competition? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think maybe it's just a level of exposure to it. Like, I don't know. I don't know any Japanese people. I've never been to Japan. I'd love to, but I've never been fortunate enough to go there. Um, I don't even know if they know about it. Um, there has been German teams over the over the years, like there's Belgian teams, uh, BattleBots, and so the Germans know about it definitely. But I think it's just a lack of exposure. Um, but then it might just be a cultural thing as well. So like if you look at uh, KOB and this is fighting robots and Clash Parts, like the the Chinese um, versions of the shows, what they find entertaining is completely different to Western TV. So if you sit down and watch their show, you'd be like, what the hell is going on here? Like everyone's dressed up and dancing around with robots. It's, they've got a very different um, sense of entertainment. Um, so so maybe, <laughs> may, may, maybe it needs like, I don't know, maybe they need their own version of the show and tweaking it to their audience. Like with, with the guy that brought back um, Robot Combat into China, he obviously saw BattleBots Robot Wars and went, right, that would work, but we need to bring some celebrities in and do some stuff to get the general public in- interested in it, because not everyone will sit down and want to watch a show about robots, but a-, a vast majority of people over there will if it's got celebrities in it. So, so I don't know, maybe the shows need tweaking to, to that kind of audience, I don't know. On over to BattleBots, you've competed on the modern reboot of BattleBots three times. In 2015 on Team Beta, in 2016 with Cobalt, and again in 2019 with a dramatically redesigned Cobalt 2.0. Um, this leads us to uh, the first of many, many fan questions about your uh, your time on BattleBots um, from TJ Wilson, who asks, were there changes to the design of Cobalt that you regretted? Um, yeah, I'd say the front wedge was good on paper, but also our major downfall. Um, and obviously the ground clearance could have been a bit more. Um, things like that have been addressed in the new version, which hopefully one day people will get to see. Um, yeah. The, the actual weapon assembly, um, no, I was really happy with that. Um, I see, see like online comments and stuff, people saying our wedge sticks out too far, but that's the whole kind of point of the robot. So, so we designed, um, we designed Cobalt to beat tombstone basically um we wanted to go against him and be like right we're, we're gonna be good here or like give ourselves the best chance as possible like there's a lot of robots out there who, who like you look at and you think oh yeah they're really good but then what if they come up against this guy and then you go oh well he's screwed and like it, you know it's the rock paper scissors thing and we really wanted to give ourselves the best kind of chance against a rock a paper or some scissors so so like um we're quite happy with that. There's tweaks that we wanted to change, and we have done there. Um, but yeah, the thing, the major kind of regrets were the the front little wedge thing and and the ground clearance. Yeah. Speaking of those, uh, we have a question from Chris Tran, who has uh, actually two questions. First, in the fight with Minotaur, how high did Cobalt launch itself in the air? 
Oh, I love that fight. That was, I think that's one of the best fights we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> the Minotaur guys are, are, are a race as well. They're really nice guys. Um, I don't know. I think it was about, I'd say, eight, nine foot in the air, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was high. Like, it was scary. <laughs> but I, I, I thought at the time when we were driving that they hit us that high. But then someone pointed out to us that that's not what happened. They only hit us about eight inches up. So they actually rocked our chassis backwards. You know, like around the outside of the battle box, you got that kind of yellow um, eye beam, spiky strip stuff. There was yeah. a big, there was a big chunk missing from that. And it was actually when you watch it in slow mo, it was our disc hit that, and we flung ourselves upwards. <laughs> which, which like was wow. kind of like punching yourself in the face, but it, it was funny. And then, like, um, when we came back down, it was still working. I was like, "Oh my god, it's still going!" <laughs> that that really that really surprised me. But yeah, I thought that was that was even though we lo- we lost, it's the whole thing about I, I enjoy the fights that we lose more. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say it was yeah. some, some crazy hype. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Chris has a uh, has a related question. What's the secret to building a very durable robot? Uh, redundancy in everything and shock mounting is key so so if you've i think everyone's got a different way of doing things so um for, for the way that me and sam like to build things we'll build like the armor and, and and chassis and everything really solidly and all the weapons assembly really solidly and then everything in size has got shock mounting everything <coughs> so like um all our, our gearboxes and everything are all on shock mounts all the electronics are shock mount um even things that you wouldn't think needed it that they're all shot man and then what we've what we've got as well that i don't see other teams doing is um which is a little trick that sam told me which is like a, a thing from aviation is where you've got one power wire going something run two because if one get wire gets cut you've got a second so so, mm. so things like that which is like a, another level of detail which a lot of people don't don't seem to consider but i'm really glad we have done because in the past we've brought the robot out there'll be like um so like our weapon motors we've got about four wires going to each motor and like we, we've come out with like two two wires have been ripped off um from you know like mine sort of chopping a hole through the front or something but the robot still works and think things like that are, are really kind of like essential to us now so um so yeah, it, it, like some components we've got two of in the machine for just redundancy reasons. So, so I think that's and overspecking components. So if you if you've got a motor that you think you need to pull um, two horsepower from, make sure it's got three. <laughs> yeah, we have a uh, two design related questions from Will Hahn who asks, how functional are the shorter teeth on Cobalt's disc? Um, so I, we, when we designed it, we, like we didn't think they would be at all, <laughs> but um, they, they turned out to be really good. So um, the actual discs themselves, as well, they're not like if you look at Sawblaze, it's very like the, the actual disc on that's a very two-dimensional shape. Mm. Um, so it's just been laser cut out. Whereas if you look at our disc um, as it's kind of spinning towards you. Um, on the little teeth, one will be facing left, one will be fi- facing right, one will be facing left, one will be fa- facing right. And then, so when we hit duck, for example, you can see where we've taken the big chunk out with the with actual um, large tooth, and there'll be like loads of little chips missing from where the, the smaller teeth have hit it. Um, so, that, so that was quite cool. And then 
on Sub-Zero, where he went through the base, it was quite thin titanium. But you could see it was actually the smaller teeth that like kind of chewed its way through before the big tooth even came around. So, so it was actually surprised us at how effective they were. We, we knew that they, they might work against like um, plastics and like softer robots, um, but the fact that they worked so well on, on aluminium um, and, and titanium was quite surprising. But then we've redesigned that again for the next version of Cobalt, which you'll have to wait and see, but it's, it's even crazier looking there. That's exciting. Um, Will has a second question about your design. Uh, he asks, Carbide and Cobalt have two of the gnarliest death hums out there. Aside from drums, I don't hear many blade spinners make nearly that much noise. What's the source of the louder sound? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I used to think it was the... So on Carbide, I, thought, I think a lot of the noise came from chain. Um, but then if you watch like Tombstone Spinner, that's pretty quiet. I think... I think some things have like a certain resonance where when you get to a certain speed, it will like absolutely scream and then you go past it and it will shut up a bit or like vice versa, it'd be quiet and then you'll hit a certain pitch and things will just start making a certain sound that you can really hear. But I think somehow just that kind of came across really harshly in, um, in carbide. Like I think it was just at the right kind of RPM level and everything for that chain to really scream when it was going. Um, cobalt i think a lot of it is where the actual tooth comes around into the chassis there's only a couple of millimeters actual space around it um i think it's literally just punching the air through the chassis every time it spins around that gives it it's kind of unique sound mm, yeah hmm. uh alexander archer has a four-part question so uh first how frustrating is it that cobalt won't be returning this season due to the COVID 19 travel restrictions on international teams um, it's, it's kind of it's it's very it's it's very frustrating, really. Um, well, not not frustrating. Frustrating is the wrong word. I think it's more disappointing because mm. it was about a week. What what basically happened was we we so international teams don't get as much time as the American teams. That's like a given because of shipping. Um, so our ship dates normally a week or two before the American guys. So we'd all pretty much built the robots and. We'd had our last testing day. Everything went well. Um, and me, Sam and Kenny arranged to meet up three days later to pack the crate. And between those three days, we basically got told, look, this is not happening. Um, mm. So <laughs> so that was kind of disappointing. And obviously, it's just remained in the garage like pretty much untouched since that day. Um, so, so it's kind of um, a bit deflating, really. Um, we, we could have actually gone last minute. Um, so we actually got a phone call from the BattleBots guys and they said, look, there's a chance we can get you in. Um, but there's quite a few hoops you need to jump through. Um, one of them was having to fly to America ne like next week from when we had the call. Mm. Um, we'd have to quarantine in America for two weeks before going to the BattleBots. And then we'd have to come back after filming and, and quarantine again for two weeks over here. Um and it was just kind of, I, I did what I could to try and do it. And I think I might have been able to get away with it here. But it's a big ask on like everyone's, like the whole team's like personal lives to, to just go, right, we're going to America and we're going to be gone for a month. And then we've got to sit at home for two weeks when you get home. So it, it, just, right. it just wasn't practical um, to drop like everything for that right at that moment. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's a shame, but you know, I think hopefully BattleBots will do a great job of this season. Um, I imagine it's kind of difficult for those guys right now that they'll be jumping through so many hoops just to keep everyone happy. It's you know, it's not going to be easy work for like Trey and Greg and everyone. Um, yeah, but yeah, hope, hopefully it's it's a good season, um, and the next season will be even better. Yeah. Uh, that's a good segue for another one of Alexander's questions about your former teammates on Beta. So uh, he writes, how surprised are you that Beta, a fellow UK bot, is able to compete this season despite the other UK teams dropping out? Um, I'm not really. Um, I'm glad they've gone. Uh, like, It's good to have some UK guys there at least. And yeah. you know, John's um, pretty much retired. Al is pretty, well, Al works for himself like half the week and then Gabe runs his own business, so they're all in quite a, a fortunate position where they can take as much time off work as they want, really. So, um, and they spend a lot of time building the robots. But yeah, hopefully those guys stay safe and they have a good time and represent as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alexander asks: Is there anyone competing this season that you guys will be rooting for to win the giant net? Peter, uh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even know who's going there. I don't know. I haven't seen the list, but yeah, obviously, you know, B it's going. So yeah, hopefully those guys do well. Yeah. And finally, until season six of BattleBots returns, are you going to be competing at any local events in the UK? Um, I don't know if we're allowed to have them. <laughs> so, unless there's like less than six people at the minute, I don't think we're allowed that kind of thing. So no is, is the answer to that, unfortunately. Yeah. Is that is that tough? I mean, combat robotics has been such a big part of your life for like 15, 20 years, uh, building robots, kind of designing them, thinking about them, driving them, you know, and this idea that you may not be able to drive competitively for a year, a year and a half, you know, from um, the start of COVID. Not, not for me personally. Like I, I was kind of at the point where I was burnt out with it and I wanted a break from it anyhow. So um, between the, the televised stuff, I hadn't really done many events. So for, for me, it's not a big deal, but I, I know for a lot of people, they're, they're frustrated by it. Um, but it's, it's not just that, really. It's affecting everyone's everyday life, really. So there's you've got to prioritize things, haven't you? And at the end of the day, a hobby is not like the end of the world. If you can't do it, it's still going to be the next year. So there's no point worrying about things that are out of your control. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a good way of looking at things. Uh, our final fan question comes from Jethro Rialubin, who asks... You guys named your bots after cutting metals. If you make a fourth heavyweight robot, what metal will it be named after? Or will it get a new type of name entirely? Also, if you had to pick another color scheme other than red, white, and blue, or green and black, what would that color scheme be? Um, green and black, again. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like our thing now. I think it's the best combo. Um, names? Uh... I don't know. We, we had this conversation actually, and it's getting really hard now because you end up with a robot called Tin or like Lead. And it's, 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 they're not good names, are they? Have you guys got any recommendations for us? Because we're kind of running out. Maybe gold. <laughs> what was that? Maybe gold. Yeah. Gold. I guess that's really a cutting metal. <laughs> oh, we, we need to get more Dutch guys on the team and spray it up and <laughs> call it gold. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, Dave, thanks very much for talking with us. We really look forward to seeing Cobalt in the Battle Box again soon, hopefully next year. And uh, you've got one of the coolest jobs out of all the people that we've uh, we've interviewed for this show. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you know that there's uh, I don't know many uh, many hundreds of listeners who would love to work again. Very center. Yeah, very I'll try and uh, I'll try and import you some goods next time. Eh? <laughs> Good. <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for calling. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel back to Japan, where engineers at the Toyota Research Institute have built a prototype robot butler that hangs from the ceiling and helps people out in the kitchen. The so-called gantry robot hangs on ceiling-mounted rails and is designed to pick up objects, open boxes, cans, and packages, chop food, cook, and clean. In a video, which we will include in our show notes, researchers at Toyota imagine a world where multiple networked robots help people do everything from cooking and cleaning to playing with pets. So now just imagine your entire home is uh, filled with networked robots who can communicate with each other and uh, have access to your knives, to your appliances, to your pets, and uh, everything in between. What could go wrong? It's nice that our planet is just spiraling towards uh, carbon emissions doomsday, and the fine folks at the Toyota Research Institute (laughs) are figuring out how to make something part Spider-Man, part butler that hangs from your ceiling to help you open boxes. <laughs> um, I, I watch I watched most of this video from Toyota Research Institute and it's it paints an interesting picture of the world. Um, it's probably like, uh, so it, it, the, the video is of this um, older couple and um, how robots help them out around the, uh, the house uh, during like a typical day. And the idea is that we have five or six robots in our homes in the future, including this ceiling system where we put rails into every single room and this robot that is capable of doing everything, literally it's got hands um, and can pick up anything that's, you know, all the way down to the floor, which is kind of terrifying. Um, It's talking to you constantly. Um, You have these giant video screens everywhere. um, And uh, other, other robots are kind of helping you out with, with your, your normal life. Um, They did have like an interesting idea um, where they had kind of like simultaneous live cooking. So I could cook in the kitchen and hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away, um, I could be manipulating there like a, a robot in my friend's kitchen to cook the exact same meal so that we could sit down and have like, you know, uh, Thai noodles together or something. Um, and I could present this dish to them and just really kind of bridge the distance uh, between time and space, which I thought was pretty interesting. Definitely an interesting video. I would uh, highly suggest uh, checking it out. Well, that's about it for us today. We'd really like to thank Mary for attending today's podcast. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.